Well, it's good to see you this morning. I was down there checking on the people in San Juan, and they're doing well, and uh, they're looking forward to all of us, and uh, we're going to just have a good time together. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 3. We're looking in God's Word, so if you want to turn there in your Bible, or there's a Bible in the pew uh, that you can turn there together. And we are so blessed. Thank you, uh, 11th, for being here with us today. Thank you for Chuck for helping get us connected. And uh, we need to celebrate our veterans because they're willing to stand in harm's way on our behalf, willing to defend our freedoms and uh, for us to take time to appreciate uh, how they have endured, how they have suffered, uh, so that we can live free in America day to day is very important. And so we take time like this. And we, even in a bigger way, we are celebrating the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our Savior, who died for us, not just to give us freedom, uh, but to forgive our sin and to get us right with God and to fill our life with purpose and to give us a home in heaven forever. So that's why we've gathered around his table. And I thought Tandy did a good job doing our, my work. Don't you think? I think, in fact, he did better than, you know what I'm saying? I was like watching him work. <laughs> keep working, keep working. So we've been reading in this little love letter called Colossians, and it's written by this scholar named Paul who... Uh, is writing to this little church that's getting off track because of distractions from the world around them. And Paul, who's sitting in prison at the time that he writes this, and he's awaiting a trial uh, because the charge against him is that he loved Jesus and that he thought Jesus was God. And uh, we happen to love Jesus, and we believe that Jesus is God. And so the price uh, for Paul uh, to love and to serve the Lord was much higher than for you and for me. And uh, we need to be ready always to give an answer to anybody who asks of the hope that we have inside. And so Paul, in this letter, in the first chapter, he says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. In Colossians chapter 2, he said, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. In Colossians 3, it says, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set, set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth, because you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And then last week, we looked at, put to death, therefore, what's earthly in you. And he lists different kinds of sins, some that are internal and we struggle with in our, on our inner walk, some that have to do with other people. But it's a picture of taking off filthy, soiled clothing. And then today we're looking at being clothed like Christ. That's what we're going to be looking at, Colossians 3, starting verse 12. And the big idea is that those who are in Christ will become like Christ. I mean, think about it. It seems like when you spend time with people, you become more like them. I mean, have you ever noticed little old couples, the longer they're married, the more they look like each other? <laughs> it's true. It's true. We have some in here 50, 60, 62 years, 64 years, and, uh, and, and they, they start uh, looking alike and uh, talking alike and thinking alike. And uh, even the choir, have you noticed they hang out long enough, they all looked alike? Paul is writing this, and he says, when you spend time with Christ, and you think Christ's thoughts, and you hear Christ's words, and you attempt to honor Christ with your life and to follow Him, you're going to become more like Christ. And that's our goal. He said, I want to remind you, Paul is not writing this just to an individual, though each individual must take that themselves and to, to determine, am I going to follow Christ or not? Paul is writing to a church, to a community of faith, a church just like us. And you see, the church isn't the building. 
It's not, never the buildings. The church is the people, people of God who have given Jesus Christ first place in their heart, and then they gather together and they make a commitment to be part of a body of Christ that says we're going to represent Christ in this part of the world, and we're not perfect, but we're going to follow Jesus, who is perfect, and we're going to attempt to represent him in a way and do his work and encourage other people to follow him. People have been called out of the darkness into the light, people who have said yes to abandoning the rags of our own righteousness and claim the righteous robes of the undiluted Jesus. So we claim Christ as our own. We adore Jesus Christ. We emulate Christ with our lives. We ask questions like, what would Jesus do? What would he think? What would he say? How would he respond? And we're to focus on Christ and to represent Jesus in this world and to this world. It's a tall order, and we live at a tumultuous time. I want to give you four ways today how, as we put Christ as number one in our hearts and our lives, that we become like Christ, transformed and protected by Christ, and ready to share Jesus with the world that we live in. So look at Colossians 3, verse 12. Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another. And if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Do you know the Marines every year have a ball? And so Chuck came, and one of the first things that we were doing is he said, you know, some of the Marines uh, and their wives can't afford the appropriate attire to wear to the ball, especially uh, for their wives. They need some uh, party gowns and, and uh, fancy dresses. And so we asked your church, who would like to give some fancy dresses? Bring them to the church office. So how many did we get, Chuck? Over 100 dresses, all right? You are so generous. Thank you. And um, I, I was pleased, you know. Some of those dresses were stunning, and some of them, a couple of them, I think were made before the turn of the century. <laughs> no, 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 not the recent turn of the century, the one before that. <laughs> I'd wondered if they had come from a museum. Now, I don't know who gave what dress, so, okay, so I'm not picking on yours. I'm sure it wasn't from you, but I, and I'm just having some little fun that uh, some of those things actually came out of some of our closets. You know, and we stand at our closets. Have you ever done this? You stand at your closet and you look in the closet, it's chuck full, and you say, there's nothing to wear. And you don't mean to sound ungrateful or extravagant. Maybe you haven't been shopping in a while. Maybe nothing in your closet is close to being in style. Maybe you've had your colors done recently. You found out nothing in my wardrobe is in my colors. And um, maybe what's in your closet just doesn't fit anymore, you know, for whatever reason. We're not saying. And, um, but you have to wear something. And you'd like it to look nice and to be appropriate to the situation of the day. I recently did some of my reserve duty at the Air Force Academy. It's, it's, it's where I'm currently serving. And at the Air Force Academy, you know, Air Force has two colors that they wear generally, either blue, like this one, or green, uh, fatigues. And, and uh, so um, at the Air Force Academy, they just kind of have a policy now. Uh, during the school year, you wear blue on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. You wear green on Thursday, Friday. The green is more comfortable. It's, uh, you know, kind of the, the, the work outfit, really. So the Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, they're in blue. Well, I happened to be there during a week when uh, the secretary of the Air Force, Ashton B. Carter, was flying in to give a briefing. So late notice, a late notice came out on Wednesday afternoon of 
wear blue tomorrow, not green, because out of respect for the Secretary of the Air Force. And um, so everybody, not everybody got the email. I barely did. And so I'm wearing blue on a day I would have been wearing green. And I come in, and one of the senior chaplains is wearing green. So I pulled him aside and said, I know ordinarily we wear green on Thursdays, but did, I don't know, do you have to see the email that says we should be wearing blue today? And he says, oh, he says, I, I could have guessed that. I should have thought of that. But home's kind of a ways away. It's kind of a hassle. I'm not really on the program. I'm just over here working in the office. I'm out of sight. I'm gonna, I think I'm just going to stay in, in green today. So the Secretary of the Air Force flew in, did his briefing. He was duly impressed with the place and the people, and he flew out. And later that afternoon, that same chaplain was out doing some errands, running around the base, and he happened to have one stop at the headquarters building, which is Harmon Hall. And you, you could guess what's happening. He's, gonna come, he's coming out the door of the building. Guess who's walking in the building? The three-star general, who says to him, Chaplain, wasn't this a great Air Force day? And he looks at the three-star general and says, well, it would be if I was wearing the right uniform. In other words, giving his confession because he knows that he's gotten caught and he hasn't done the right thing. Jesus actually has a, a parable that's very similar to this of a story of a man who's invited to the wedding feast. He says, this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. You're invited to this feast. And all these people refuse to show up. But then the ones that do show up, among them is the guy who showed up and he did not wear the proper uh, uh, wedding attire. And when the host got there and saw all the people and this one person said, well, I'm going to just wear what I want to wear. I'm not wearing what I'm supposed to be wearing. He was actually restrained and removed from the wedding. Now, this was to speak to us to say, first off, say yes to the wedding invitation uh, from God to be part of the party in heaven. But then also, Christian, take off the rags of the world and be clothed in the character of Christ. And Paul uses this word picture. Take off your old self, your old sins, put on the character qualities of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 12. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Now you and I would have just blown right on by that, but I think the people who read this, who were most of them were Gentile, when they read God's chosen ones, they would have said, wait a minute, wait a minute, I thought that was the Jewish people. And Paul is saying, you are chosen by God. You are holy and precious. Holy not only means perfect, it means set, set aside, set apart. God set us aside or set us apart to be, these are mine. I'm, I'm saving these. So it's, you're so loved by God, and it's like you're getting ready for a night on the town with Jesus. What are you going to wear? Look what he says to wear. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. Paul goes on to list these five virtues in verse 12. Compassion. I mean, Jesus cared. Compassion is caring for somebody beyond yourself. It's how you responded, South Shores, when we saw a few weeks ago the little clip from Samaritan's Purse of little children who the only present they're going to get for Christmas is in a box that we send from here. And uh, we can put toys and other fun things and uh, also some of the good news of Jesus in the box. And last year we did a thousand boxes or close to a thousand boxes that we got to send to children and put a smile on their face. And so even this week somebody came in uh, on Thursday and said, where can I get some more of those boxes? i got to have two more. And next Sunday, of course, is when we're collecting them all. So if you're going to get one, this is the week to do it. But it's showing compassion beyond ourself. I'm sure that in heaven, some of you are going to have somebody come up and say, you know what? The compassion box that you packed is what gave me the good news about Jesus. It's why I'm in heaven today. 
it makes a huge difference. Jesus was someone who showed compassion over and over and over. And sometimes we have a compassion fatigue, you know, and we, we just get exhausted with compassion. But Jesus never did. It says, Jesus went throughout all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. And when he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest. This is big for Jesus. He thought compassion. He felt compassion. He taught compassion. He practiced compassion. He was moved into action because of the compassion he had. Where he, some people saw brokenness and hopelessness. Jesus saw people who needed help, and he saw opportunity. Clothe yourself with compassion. I had a friend who would substitute in high school, uh, you know, as a teacher, and I think that's about as close to hell as you can get and be alive, uh, is to substitute in high school. And uh, he, so he had this class, and they were just sitting there just like mummies, you know, and so he got up and he wrote on the board, apathy, in great big letters, like two foot tall, apathy, A-P-A-T-H-Y, took up both boards. And then he sat down, and he was going to outweight the class. And so they all sat there. Finally, one of the students in the front looked at another one and said, apathy, apathy. Now, what is that? The other student goes, I don't know. Who cares? <laughs> and sometimes we can get that way because we've just been pressed and pressed and pressed. And Jesus is saying, Paul's saying, dress yourself in compassion. Continue to care. You don't have the luxury of not caring. You represent Jesus Christ who always cared. And then he says, kindness. He says, love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Love your enemies. Well, you could say that about your enemies, but you don't know mine and what they did. He says, for your reward it will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and to the evil. God is kind to the ungrateful and the, and the evil. When I read that, I thought, well, I'm praying that I'm not evil, but have I been ungrateful this week? Have any thank yous escaped my lips to anyone? The Bible says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You know, in a practical way, this probably means that you're willing to get along with people even who are hard to get along with. That maybe you don't say something that you otherwise would have said, or you bite your tongue, or you make concessions, not necessarily in your core beliefs, not in compromising your faith, but in how you go about working with others. You might find yourself saying something like, okay, let's do it your way, because you're going to be around people with rough edges. We all have them in our life. In fact, if you don't, your friends probably have one. <laughs> it's probably you. <laughs> Praise God for the people who are kind because it is a sign of intentional maturity. And then he says humility. Put on humility. Have this mind among yourself which is in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. 
Therefore, God has highly exalted him, given him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Humility is having the proper view of yourself, not an inflated view of your own importance. And Jesus' view of himself, I think, shifted when he left heaven. In heaven, he was God. Here on earth, he is still God. But he had chosen some limitations. He had emptied himself of whatever was necessary to become fully a human being. And he got here as a man on a mission to seek and to save the lost. So he emptied himself of whatever was necessary, kind of like a wrestler, starving himself to get down to a certain weight class class so he could fight the fight. Jesus humbled himself for you and for me, and he fought the fight, and he won. Humility. It's not something you often pray, God, thank you that I, I'm so proud of my humility and all the humility I have achieved. There's always room for a little more, isn't there, Bob? Oh, I'm, I'm, never mind. Um, and then gentleness. He said, when he was, Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return, but he, when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. Jesus was gentle. He was gracious. And then patience. You know, I went looking for a verse that would represent patience in the Bible. It's a virtue, and it's not one you'd necessarily pray for, because uh, God would certainly give you plenty of opportunities to practice it. But Paul is saying, put on patience. Remember, he's sitting in prison, waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting. And there's a verse in Psalm 103 that David wrote that says, the Lord is merciful and he's gracious. He's slow to anger and he's abounding in steadfast love. But then I noticed, because you can get, you know, a program that where verses come up, that the same verse came up in the book of Exodus, where the people are enslaved, and they're working on the, uh, the projects like the pyramids in Egypt, and they're praying out to God, God, don't you see us? Don't you care? You've promised to deliver. Where are you? Can't you help us out here? We're in a terrible situation. And the verse is, their, their comfort was to be found in that verse, the Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Well, then it shows up in the next book of Numbers uh, where they've been set free and now they're trudging across the wilderness and a journey that should have taken about four days ended up taking about 40 years. And God reminds them the Lord is merciful and he's gracious. He's slow to anger and he's abounding in steadfast love. And then that verse shows up where we read it by David, who's the king who's probably in the history of Israel. It was kind of the zenith. It was kind of the glory days that they look back to. And uh, God reminded him, the Lord is merciful and he's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in love. And then it next shows up in the Bible in the book of Nehemiah, where the city of Jerusalem has languished and the wall has been torn down and the city has been burned and thousands of people taken away to captivity. And then finally, Nehemiah is allowed to bring some of those people back and to try to rebuild the wall and to rebuild a broken people. And it, it, they're discouraged. And he's telling them, the Lord is merciful and he's gracious. He's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. Then it shows up in the prophet Joel, Things have gotten even worse, and the people have been suffering with a drought year after year after year, and then what the drought didn't kill, locusts showed up and ate, and the whole thing is seen as an act of punishment by God for their indifference to God and to His Word, and an act by God to try to get those people in their desperation to turn to Him. In desperate times, people do turn to God, because we need God, and God told them, 
through Joel, the Lord is merciful and he's gracious. He's slow to anger and he's abounding in steadfast love. And then it shows up in Jonah, who's the prophet that God said, go tell your enemies to repent and turn to me or I'm going to have to annihilate them. And Jonah wants them annihilated. So instead of going this way, he goes that way. And he tries to run away from God. And he becomes this bellyaching, whining prophet who found himself in the belly of a whale uh, for a little time out for about three days for God to adjust his attitude. And, uh, you know, God still, when he finally got out of the whale, said, now go to Nineveh and tell them my word and tell them to to repent so that I don't have to annihilate them because the Lord is merciful and he's gracious. He's slow to anger and he's abounding in love. God is patient. He's been patient with me. He's patient with you. He's been patient with America. But he doesn't wait forever. So if you hear this today, then it's time to get right with God. First individually, then as his people, as a nation. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, God says. Not everybody. My people. Are you part of the people of God? Well, then come and pray. Come pray tomorrow night, 7 o'clock. We're going to be right here praying for our country and, and for ourselves and for our leaders. We're praying for virtuous leaders. There don't seem to be any choices that look like that. But we need to have godly leaders who are on their knees before him asking for his help and his guidance. The point is put God first in your life today while you can and clothe yourself in compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience. Paul goes on, verse 13, bearing with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against another, forgiving each other, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Paul's saying, wear the right thing. You, don't have, you have to be clothed in the character of Jesus Christ. And Jesus was like that. He was compassionate, kind, humble, gentle, and patient, and full of love. He was the ultimate example of love. He chose to leave heaven because of his love for you. He chose to be born poor and anonymous and to grow up with a full human experience. He chose to teach God's word to anybody who would listen, not just to the scholars, but to the regular people like us, and to, in a sense, put his cookies on the bottom shelf where we could reach them and understand what he was trying to tell us. He chose to fulfill God's requirement that innocent blood had to be shed for sin, if people were going to be right with God. And he chose to offer himself to be that sacrifice, which is why we have remembered and celebrated him today. He died for you, and he didn't have to. That's why we celebrate Jesus today. That's why he can demand of us, live the Jesus way. Be loving. Now, it's easy to be loving to people who are lovable. And it's easy to be loving when things are going your way. Paul is talking about choosing to love when it's not convenient, when, when we're forced to go in a direction that we don't want to go, when it requires sacrifices that we do not want to make. Paul is talking to this church, and he must have had quite a sad report how they were treating each other. So he says, put off your old self and put on Christ. Put on compassion and kindness and humility and meekness and patience and cover it all with love just like Jesus. You know, we had an example of that this week because one of our couples, Wenda and Lola Streach, Wendell died this week. And they would have celebrated, uh, they've celebrated 69, they would have celebrated 70 years married come February. And the love that they've had for each other and that have shared through the years, and last Sunday even, 
Wendell was here at church and was talking with Pastor Bob Vanderzag about how do you be like Jesus? How do you, how do you just let the Lord flow through you? And we'll be celebrating him. And, and heaven is richer. It's our gain because he's gone on ahead. Verse 15, Paul says, to be ruled by Christ's peace. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful. He's heard about this church. They must not have been a very peaceful church. And he's saying, be people of peace. And then he says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with thankfulness in your hearts. You know, we represent Jesus Christ, and we are called to be dressed like him. And the, those who are in Christ become like Christ. It's kind of fun. This About 10 days ago, you know, we had all those water bottles that we handed out, the undiluted Jesus. It's on the cover of your bulletin. I think it has carrot juice in there, but we handed out water and uh, made about 2,000 of them. Well, a week ago Wednesday, there was a young man here from Dana Point that had gotten in a fight with his dad and his brother, and in frustration and desperation, he decided to take his own life. So he went out walking, looking for a cliff that was high enough that he could jump and take his own life. And he happened out on the trail, of all places, to find one of our water bottles. It was still sealed, and there was water in it. And he read the label, the undiluted Jesus, who's pure and powerful. And he read, hey, I know where that church is. And he walked down here, and he happened to get here about 10 minutes after our uh, Bible studies. Small group started on Wednesday night. And so they contacted Pastor Derek, who helped serve communion this morning. And so he stepped out of his group. Somebody else found himself leading the group. And he talked with this young man. And he said, you know, Jesus is the water of life. He can, he can quench that thirsty spot in your soul. You don't have to take your own life. Just turn to Jesus. And, and the young man did. He he had a, a, a crisis moment, and he prayed, and he asked Jesus to become his Savior and, and to come into his life. And Derek stayed with him and had other people, and they determined the young man was not going to take his own life that night and would come back and see Derek again on Thursday and get the help that he needed, and he did. Now, I don't know who put that water bottle there. If it was you, thank you. Take credit. Uh, might have been an angel. Who knows? God used it as a tool in his hand to say, I, I want people who are ready to represent me and to share me with the world around them, and I can do a work that only I can do, and I can work in you. So let's pause and pray, shall we? Dear Jesus, we thank you that we can wear the right uniform to represent Christ. Compassion, humility, gentleness, graciousness, peace, love, and thankfulness. May we be those kind of people and be filled with you and represent you to this needy world. I thank you that you're already in our future. You already know how the election's gonna turn out. You already know you're gonna need people representing you in this world. And we wanna be ready to be those kind of people. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.